0: Hello, and welcome to the No Expiration Date Podcast. I'm Victoria Reed, founder of NED, a global community forum for women 50 and over.
1: And I'm Susan Stevens, fellow explorer and co-host of the NED Podcast.
0: Through a series of stimulating discussions, our podcast will inspire and challenge negative stereotypes by society and self-limiting beliefs about women and aging. Join our movement, and let's change the world together. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Victoria Reed. In this episode of the No Expiration Date podcast, being taped live in London, England, my co-host Susan Stevens and I are thrilled to welcome writer and explorer Jackie Hill Murphy, whom I first discovered when I read her book on the fearless Victorian explorer Isabella Bird. Welcome, Jackie, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. So I thought we would start out first by having you tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Well, of course, yes. And, and thank you for um, inviting me. I, I'm very impressed by your, your lovely endeavour. Uh, I started off by um, leaving teaching to uh, take a dugout canoe down the Amazon River. It, it had always been a passion of mine to recreate the journey of the first woman down the Amazon River. Her name was Isabella Godan. And I kind of harbored that story for a long time. I had to wait for the opportunity to arise to do that journey. And she never wanted to be an explorer or to uh, break any records. She just wanted to see her husband again, yeah. a bit, who she didn't see for 21 years. And the whole story just grabbed me that this poor woman, had lost her children wanted to see her husband and she had the amazon the length of the amazon river between her and her husband and so i went and did that first part of the journey and really that was the beginning of all this for me because i didn't look back after that after that first 500 miles which was down tributaries of the amazon uh i was just sort of really grabbed by this this adventurous kind of part of me that that made me feel very alive. And then I kept on reading about great women from the past who had made great journeys. And I realized that there were many who had amazing stories, but most of all, they kind of disappeared into into the history books. And I would say to people, have you heard of so and so? No. Hmm. And then I thought it was time we get their names out again. And what better way than to go and recreate their journey? Because people want to hear that story it's very interesting so the next one for me was um, an amazing british explorer called mary kingsley who in 1895 climbed a mountain in africa again she came she was very lonely she felt very trapped being in england and in society she wasn't very well educated there was she couldn't go out and get a job there was nothing that held her here she was she found her life very drab so by climbing a mountain in Africa, suddenly she was leading men. She was making decisions, and she stood at the top of a mountain. And I think at that point she had discovered the true her. So that was Mary Kingsley. After that, I kept reading, and then I decided that it had to be Isabella Bird because she is our greatest, greatest Victorian explorer, and she went to places where nobody had been had ever seen a, a, a European woman before. I mean, she was like the prince, princess, empress, everything, all rolled into one, entering a country on a horse, and just the visions of that. I mean, she was only four foot 11 as well. So I recreated her journey through the mountains in Ladakh, which is Northern India. And Northern India then, it, it was a very, very remote place, and she arrived by horseback. course i had to fly in but my actual journey recreating her footsteps was almost exactly the same as hers and i had lots of revelations during that journey and then i I didn't stop there i i just went on and found more of these women that i wanted to recreate and then i ended up writing three books so they kind of were the beginning of a, a new era for me you know post 50 these women women open doors for me they they took me to places in the world which i never would have seen if it hadn't been for them you know the fact that i decided to go to Ladakh, the length of the amazon because i went back afterwards and i did the whole length of the amazon um, and then to travel across siberia to to travel um into a part of the andes that is so hostile that it makes apparently grown men weep within a day of going there i mean i never would have gone to those places if i hadn't read those books and discovered these women and thought yeah you know i want to go and do that journey i mean i just found the whole thing fascinating and the passion actually hasn't gone away (laughs) And, yes. But at a time
0: when women were really so restricted by ah, society. Absolutely. So what do you think it was that inspired them to follow their passion and, and, and be fearless and intrepid
1: explorers? That's a very good question because England was a place where they had many ways of controlling women. Uh, the way you dress, you know, long clothes, um, uh, having to wear um, a corset that was bound very tightly um, no suitable clothing, not able to wear trousers, of course. Then you had um, things like there were not any public laboratories, so women had to go home to go and to relieve themselves, and that was a form of control. Other forms of control would not be able to have a job. The advent of the bicycle helped a great deal because when the bicycle came along, women could actually go somewhere unchaperoned and skirt hems began to go up. But that's not until the 1890s the skirt hems began to go up. 1890s was also the time of the first uh, all-women restaurant in the middle of London, Oxford Street. And there they could begin to talk about things like liberalism and theology and politics without the men around. And, of course, it had facilities there that they could use. Again, this is all the 1890s. And the 1890s saw the birth of the suffragists, that were, that ended up being the suffragettes. Mm-hmm. And the suffragettes were, just were beginning to get that conversation started about women's lives and the rights of women and how restricting their lives were. And of course, you new know, they they could be abused in many many ways. the Women then, and they had no 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 redress i mean there was nobody to complain to um and that's that's very sad very very sad so there's one very important line in isabella bird's book um on the yangtze valley and beyond when she says i suppose i'd better return to england now she is in her late 60s she's just traveled the length of the amazon river up the yangtze river she got stones thrown at her. She was in terrible shape, her back hurt. She probably wasn't mentally too good sometimes. She'd been away for three years and two months. She said, I suppose I better go back to England. And there's one line in the book and it says, and return to bondage. And that says it all really about her reasons, her, her, her reasons for going. And I found that very interesting as a biographer when I found that line. Because, of course, while she was traveling out in the Far East, she was seeing women with bound feet. That's right. Who were addicted to opioids because life was so awful out there that that's what the Chinese people did. Um, so, you know, it's hard to digest all that, really. That, that she still wanted to carry on, even after three years. Do you think that...
0: The this travel and exploration that these women did was that metaphor for them trying to find freedom here in these countries where that's that's still not fully discovered. They were able to, like yes. you said, they were able to be their own boss. Exactly. They could manage exactly. teams, things exactly. roles that were not allowed to them totally. in their own country.
1: Particularly with Mary Kingsley, the fact that she when she decided to climb Mount Cameroon, she gathered a party of men to lead her up the mountain. And there were porters and guides, and she she didn't know at the time that it was a bad move, but she actually paid them in advance. So they all scattered, spent the money, sold the blankets.
0: So they took advantage of her,
1: took advantage of being of her. a female. And so then she learned the error of her ways, rounded them all up again, did not pay them in advance the second time. And then she, in the end, climbed to the top on her own because they were too weak to carry on with her. They just, I don't know, they were frightened to go to the top. She did it on her own, which took enormous strength to do that, to climb a misty, wild, wet mountain. I mean, it was always very windy. When I when I did it, I, I couldn't hold my camera because it was so windy. <laughs> she did that on her own, came back down the mountain and looked for her men again and she'd left one of her men called Bum under a, under a bush with um, with a tin of spam and a flagon of brandy or something and left him there. And then so she comes back down and she says, "I'm looking for a madman in the mist on a mountain." And I thought, this is the woman who's not educated. She writes this beautiful alliterative prose afterwards. And she was just fantastic.
0: But very descriptive, I think, and apropos.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: now, am I wrong, but out of all these women you've written about, I feel that you have a special kinship towards Isabella Bird. So tell us a little bit more about that. Why is she so special for you?
1: I think when you write a biography, you, you, you delve into their lives so deeply. Mm-hmm. And also, when I did her journey in Ladakh, when in Northern India, when I recreated that journey, there were so many things happened exactly the same. I, I felt I'd become her alter ego. I see.
0: <laughs> um,
1: so, I, I traveled the same route, got to the same the top of Digar Pass again with pass ponies and with um, with guides, and and she was on a yak, but th- there aren't any yaks that you can <laughs> ride anymore. So I had to walk. I walked 150 miles, uh, stood at the top, and looked out over the view that she'd looked at exactly the same. Then got to a village called Digar that had not changed one bit and there was one plot of land that was flat and that I camped in and I thought that's got to be where she camped then moved on to this this uh, village of Hundar and I read from the B- her book among the tibetans to my guide and I said do you recognize this house and I began to read the lines of describing a house that she stayed at and she said it had Mud brick walls. That it had wooden balconies, and it had um, it had places to sleep on the roof when it was hot. And as I was reading the description to him, he went, "I know that place." And he grabbed my hand and he dragged me to this campsite. In the middle of this campsite was this this house, was well, disappearing into the mud, but it still had the Buddhist monk sleeping on the top in oh. in partition walls of larch, exactly how she described it with the little balconies of wood that the people of the house would sit out in the winter and get the the winter sun so you know how to keep burning all their fuel and he was amazed as well that we found it It was like there is no doubt about it this is the house so we we wrote up an account for the archaeological uh, data survey of of india and sent it to them and I, i i haven't been back but i'd love to think that they had done some, found some way of saving it for the future. Um, and then I visited the King of Ladakh, which she had done. <laughs> and that was like pulling a few strings and suddenly having an elbow poked, walking around Stock Palace Museum and going into a room. And a few minutes later in walks, <laughs> this charming man in a silk shirt and a leather hat, speaking perfect English. And that was the present King of Ladakh. And we sat and talked for 10 minutes.
0: Had he heard of Isabella? Was he familiar with her history at all?
1: That's I, I think he was. But I didn't dare read to him out of her book about her visit to see the king because she said that the king of Lodac, when she was there in 1889, was rather a stupid fellow. <laughs> and I didn't want him to hear that. So I didn't share it with him.
0: <laughs> now, that would not have been a welcome statement, no. I think. But what, uh, what compels you to try to uh, retrace these steps as faithfully as you can? Do you feel like it gets you closer to your subject? Yes,
1: yes, it's that, um, it's that yeah, that, well, I call it the auto-ethnographical approach where you are kind of like breathing the same air and you can feel that loneliness in some of these places. And especially Isabella godan the first woman down the Amazon who got lost, who lost all her party, I mean, I can, totally feel the desolation i mean I, I i camped with my party on on a sandbar which is you know obviously sandbars move with the meanders of the of the rivers in in amazon you know the tributaries i'm talking about And uh, this one was pretty close to the one where she had all her party died including her brothers and her ladies maids and her nephew and you you just can't help feeling that um, how awful it would have been for her. And she just walked into the forest thinking that she was gonna die. Uh, and luckily she emerged and was saved, uh, which makes a really, really good story and needs to be told. And But her story wasn't told for nearly 100 years after she did that.
0: Why do you suppose these women didn't get the acknowledgement or recognition for their exploits?
1: Male-dominated society. <laughs> Women weren't expected to, to, to travel unchaperoned. Women weren't expected to do that sort of thing. You know, explorers were in a man's wor- world. They didn't believe it was a place for women.
0: And did they get support from their family, or were they also ostracized no, by their family? No, they didn't get their very family. much.
1: It, it, Mary Kinsey didn't have any family left. Isabella Bird lost her family while she was out traveling i mean when she was married for a while to dr bishop and she stayed with him while they were married but unfortunately he died and then she just started traveling again um who else well how did they have the resources i know with
0: isabella there was some family assistance but what about the other women
1: mary kingsley had a short a small amount of money left to her by her parents okay that she used isabella bird had that money to begin with and then she sold enough books she had a good good reputation but that is actually another thing firstly women weren't expected to go traveling on their own unchaperoned Mm -hmm. secondly they weren't expected to write books so they were like you know two strikes against you this is not how women are expected to behave especially as you get older um so the women who did write books i mean just incredible now Nellie Bly was an interesting lady she was american she was the first investigative journalist because she'd put herself into into uh, that dreadful lunatic asylum in new york where she had to get a lawyer to get her out again <laughs> yeah. because she'd feigned madness to get in to write a story and then they wouldn't let her out <laughs> So when you know, she instigated change. I mean she brought about social change through doing that, really brave lady. But she wanted to to beat Jules Burns uh, Forty Days Around the World. So it took her a while before she got her magazine she was working for to accept that she could do it.
0: Or oh, she wanted um, to beat its record.
1: Yes, I and she see. did. I mean it's just amazing woman. Uh Nellie Bly. And that's her legacy i mean her legacy to us is the fact that you know women are strong women can do whatever they want if they if they want to if they can if they are given the possibilities to make it happen you know but of course you know so many women had the doors closed on them
0: but what i find inspiring about your and Isabella, for example, and these women that you're talking about is, they really did not look to society to really validate them, did they? They went and followed sort of this dream that they had and pursued it.
1: I think that they knew society wasn't going to validate them. Uh, and of course, the first female fellows of the Royal Geographical Society, um, Isabella Byrd and Kate Marsden, uh, they were then, in a position where this society voted against sledding in women so they kept them there so it was another 20 years before any before they fully opened the doors to women it was a, it was a difficult time and i can't imagine how what it must have been like for isabella bird to stand up and give her lecture of 1897 about her journey down the yangtze river and she of course she was using her magic lantern slides which are completely beautiful and they are probably the first women's travel f- photographs. What was it like with the audience probably scowling at her that she'd done this journey? I mean, they were probably thinking, no woman should have done that. I was a, a man should have done that journey. I mean, she, was gone, she was two years doing that journey, and living in the most unbelievably bad circumstances. But she toughed it out. She really toughed it out. She had very little food absolutely no comfort no waterproofs the the men who pushed the boats across the rapids wouldn't even put a plank out for her from the boat to the land so frequently she fell in had to stay in wet clothes all the time a lot of these women never had the chance to change their clothes when they were wet because there was nowhere for them to go and change and they toughed it out and if they hadn't toughed it out we wouldn't know about those places today because In their books, they documented what they saw, which is a world that's gone. And thank goodness they did. And for example, Isabella Bird, the first woman in the Sandwich Islands, Hawaii, she wrote down everything she saw over that five months. We know about the people, the royalty, the politics, the economics, the the way that society moved, how they gossip. uh, And that world is gone so we have that record plus isabella bird was in america before and after the american civil war that's right if you wanted to know the history of america the first place you'd go would be to her two books about it i mean she saw she saw the the, the covered wagons trundling across the colorado plains with the emigrants in you know probably coming from great britain or europe she saw them trundling over the plain and uh, that's where one of her her quotes comes from about the future has its charms. I mean, they were they were going out to a, a future that no one knew what it would hold for them. Incredible! And I must just tell you part of that story that I found as her biographer that she spent three months in Estes Park in Colorado. Yes, and we all know that she met this wild Ted Nugent who no woman could not love but they could never marry or whatever the quote is now people like speculating that they had some sort of an affair and there are books written about this which is conjecture and I'm not sure as a biographer whether you should use conjecture when rewriting somebody's life she had a connection with him, definitely, because along long last she found someone who wanted to listen to her stories and he took her to all these wild places and yes, of course they would have slept out, lying, lying side by side under the stars. A woman in her position could not act with impropriety because she had a reputation to, to consider. But what's interesting is she kept their their liaison that I don't think, as I said, was ever romantic. No, I <laughs> it, it, it possibly when she was a Victorian lady. I don't think she could have been, but she kept it secret. Now, in Great Britain, she had a biographer called Anna Stottart, whose biography of Isabella Bird came out in nineteen o four. But it's all totally cleansed. There is nothing. There's so it's no a sanitized version, totally. is it? <laughs> now, when she came to the door, I think that possibly Isabella Bird thought to herself, oh, here comes Anna. Don't tell her anything, any of the juicy bits because she won't approve. I I think that she was very much a sort of wear white gloves perfectly, you know, perfectly behaved Victorian lady. Because in Anna Stottard's book about Isabella Bird, she says that in that three months in Estes Park, that Isabella Bird spent it in a sanatorium. (laughs) Which is not true. No, not true. It's not true that she was... She was making out with with, with Wild Jim, but it was certainly not true that she wasn't in a sanatorium in that time.
0: So do you think she had a plan? Because uh, she was, she went to America twice, didn't she? She did. So yeah. was, was there a plan as to why she wanted to go
1: to America? Well, she had to go to America. She had to cross America to get to... Uh, there were no planes. So either her only choices for getting to Japan and the Far East was either to cross America... And she moans about San Francisco. She didn't like it because it was all kind of clanking rail cars and dirty and everything. It was because it was being built, basically. The infrastructure of America was being built while she was there. She watched it. Um, She either had to do that or she had to take a very long boat ride the other way. I see. And of course, when she came back from China, she did sail back the other way on that last journey. But when she was... Dying, she had a ticket booked on the New Siberia Express to get to China, back to go back to China, via Siberia and Mongolia. But she, could, she was dying. I mean, you know, she in her head, she still believed she could make that journey. But all her friends knew that she couldn't lift a pencil to write. And in her head, her, her head was racing, her mind was racing. Oh, I'm going to go back to China. I'm going to go back and I want to see my friend so and so and. Uh, we, we're going to do this that, and the other. Her mind was racing, but her body had given out and she could never do that. So it's quite sad. And when I wrote that last chapter of the book, I cried all the way through writing it because her restlessness got to me. And I was thinking, this poor woman with this amazing mind and things that she'd seen, the things she'd experienced and the people she'd met. And she couldn't do it anymore.
0: <laughs> and it seems like her... She only felt released or at free when she was traveling. Yes, didn't she? She felt
1: better. She felt because she was always
0: she was sickly as a child. She was very
1: sickly, and I think she felt better when she was adventuring. Which is the message that we we have today. We say to people, if you go out into the outdoors and you maybe go trekking or you go walking in the countryside, it makes you feel mentally and physically better. And she was t- telling us this, you know, 150 years ago, wasn't she? Yes so her message was a good one but sometimes she suffered a great deal I mean, she had terribly bad back she had um what do you call it you know a, she, she had tumors she had some kind of like a contraction in her back i don't know what the modern way i mean maybe she had osteoporosis or, or anything like that but she had a great deal of problems so back. she had a
0: lot of physical limitations oh. but pulled through
1: but mentally also, I means she suffered from depression. Which, in Victorian England, yes. you could be um, institutionalized for having depression, if you're a woman. Not if you're a man, mind you. Oh. So that's why the, the, our, our asylums were full of women, just who actually had very little wrong with them.
0: And probably a lot of that depression was because of how confined they were in society, exactly. don't you think? Exactly. There's a definitely a correlation. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Why do you think China held a very special place for Isabella?
1: I've asked myself that. I wonder whether it's because she really was the first European eyes to see it, and I think she liked that a lot—the fact that she was seeing it the first time. But also she liked the connections she made. But it was, the hardships were immense. It's, I think she's just so unique. It's very hard to fully answer that question.
0: But I I just found it ironic because she found England oppressive, but women were equally, if not even more so, oppressed in China. So I wonder if she had empathy or could really relate to that. And and do
1: you think she influenced women she met? Oh, wouldn't that be nice to think she did? But remember she had status. she wasn't treated as the way they treated their own females she had status while she was there and uh, same for Mary Kingsley she had status which elevated her above just being a woman travelling I mean she was exceptional now that's the case for Kate Marsden who crossed Siberia and she did probably the hardest journey ever for a woman she took 8 months to cross Siberia by sledge and horseback and tarantass which is a horrible device for traveling through broken up snow and as she made her way progressively east across Siberia word went before her and her status gained elevated because of that by the time she got to Eastern Siberia where she wanted to go and check out the way they treated lepers she had acquired all the dignitaries who felt as she had made this journey no one ever ever done before, certainly not not a British European, European woman, um, they had to treat her with that dignity, which was why she, they were with her when she went to look for the lepers cast out in the snow. Yeah. Hence, from then on, they treated their lepers better. Wow. Because she had exposed it. Now, she was vilified by Victorian society. There were people that hated her. And she was never allowed to go back and her reputation was completely dashed through the press and that's the reason i wrote her biography because it was just such a sad story and i really had to redress the balance
0: wow so here she was transforming perception within that community but she was not given there. the appreciation here exactly
1: and she died in a victorian asylum.
0: asylum yeah there seems to be a theme here If you were an iconoclast of that period in time, it didn't always end well for you. And yet they persisted. And and that's the other thing, because for us, one of the aims of NED, No Expiration Date, is to really try to change the whole perception and dialogue about women somehow being less vibrant, uh, you know, being less lesser in value as you progress in age. And I think a lot of it is imposed by society and some we women do ourselves, you know, by using phrases like, oh, well, we're too old or, (laughs) you know, and I think these are very self-limiting beliefs and yet these women can you talk a little bit more about their their ages really once they I I I mean because Isabella was still out there in her 60s I know.
1: I mean no expiration date I love that (laughs) so much why has it taken till 2023 for this to happen oh amazing um yes it got it, it it was very hard when they as they get older but you know Isabella Bird she was just Breaking every boundary, wasn't she? I mean, the fact that she was 63 when she started that long trip to Ladakh, that she was late 60s when she travelled the length of the Yangtze River, that was unheard of then. Absolutely unheard of. That immense drive that she had is is so admirable. And of course, you know, there were there were others who did the same and um you know, some died young. I mean, uh, sadly, Mary Kingsley died at uh, 38, which is a great shame. Um, but certainly Kate Marsden, she lived until her 70s. The lovely Isabella Godin, who travelled the length of the river, she lived to her 70s, but she would never talk about her experience again. It was so traumatic. She would never, ever talk about her experience of emerging from the jungle in the Amazon and being rescued. So how did her story became told then? Her husband, Jean Goudin, who was part of the earth measuring expedition that was sent out from France to Peru in the 1760s, he was was told he had to write up what happened for the Royal Academy of Science in Paris because the king was rather shocked at a frenchman's wife emerging naked out of the out of the jungle uh, because of course she had all her taffeta clothes all ripped off by the you know wandering in the jungle for six weeks so that was what happened he wrote the account and then it was another 60 or 80 years before the first account happened in magazine picaresque and then they they illustrated it with a picture of um, of a fairy tale ca- character falling into the arms of someone who looks like Hiawatha. So it, it, it's, it's big blurring of reality and, um, and fantasy. Tr- fantasy. And, and a male fantasy, like, no
0: less. Yes.
1: And, and she turns, they turn her into a, a fairy tale figure, which very is very objectified. Just, yes, it sounds like totally objectified, <laughs> just totally. Yes.
0: Now I get the sense that for these women, this was really a personal goal of theirs without really probably looking into the future of how they would be inspiring women like us, right? To to dare to do more and and actually get beyond their comfort zone.
1: Gosh, if only they'd known. If only they had known what they were doing for us uh, in in terms of the new 20th century woman. Uh, It was phenomenal. I, I wish that I could go back and tell them how they were opening doors and they were setting up they were setting up the world as it was going to be it's so sad when
0: i think about how these remarkable women died without knowing their immense contribution for not only for people but especially for women i just when i read your book about isabella bird i was just so inspired that's been my dream to constantly innovate and explore and embark on these adventures but your your book to me was really very very inspirational and i guess uh in closing i wanted to ask you what are some themes then or lessons takeaways from these women that would be relevant today
1: to follow your dreams is a pretty obvious one to don't let people put you off be strong
0: But you say to women who say, "Oh, I'm
1: too old. Life has passed Uh, me by." (laughs) Absolutely not true. I last night I was honoured to hear a Norwegian woman talking who was a nurse in Norway, and she was nursing a man who dying of cancer, and he said, "Go and live your life while you're alive," and and at the age of fifty, she started planning walking to the south pole in the footsteps of amundsen wow and that was because of that man and so it's it's those words live while you are alive And and be engaged absolutely absolutely and if you can't if you can't because you unfortunately aren't able to physically there are still so many other ways to get involved and even joining organizations where you can hear other inspiring people talking or or just making a small journey or or just going out of your comfort zone in a small way it's so worthwhile I think a lot of people are afraid to go out of their comfort zone yes and I, I think it's it's so important even if it's sit by a river you know just watch the world go by just get out there get into the outdoors and enjoy life
0: well, thank you, Jackie. And I think it's it's something that really resonates, certainly with the two of us, with Susan, and hopefully to our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you I so much so. for thank being you. our guest. Thank you. To learn more about these trailblazing female explorers, you can find Jackie Hill Murphy's books on Amazon.com, including the life and travels of Isabella Byrd, the fearless Victorian adventurer and adventuresses rediscovering daring voyages into the unknown, and finally, the extraordinary tale of Kate Marston and my journey across Siberia in her footsteps.